Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad that you're joining us. Uh, good Sunday to join us. We're starting a new series. We usually teach in series. And for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about when pigs fly. Uh, uh, do you believe in miracles? And today's topic is miracles of deliverance, and uh, we'll explain that in a few minutes. <clears throat> My wife asked me about what happens with the pig. <laughs> we're all rooting for the pig, right? But for the pig to survive, he needs to fly. Um, when pigs fly, that expression, hopefully most of you understand it, it means it's really probably never going to happen. Um, we might use it politically, saying that Democrats and Republicans ever get along when pigs fly. Uh, when we were, our kids were growing up, uh, we're not pet people. Some of you are, I know. We're not pet people, and our kids would want to get a little pet kitten puppy or whatever. We always said no. We'd say when pigs fly. Well, unfortunately, I went on, well, not unfortunately, I went on the mission trip, but unfortunately it happened on a mission trip. When I got back, my daughter, our daughter, Andrea, had talked my wife into a kitten. Um, so when we say when pigs fly, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes those other things do occur. Uh, the word miracle, I think, is misused a lot. Um, two different ways. People Church people that believe in a miracle-working God tend to believe less in miracles today. Oh, yeah, they happened back in Bible days, but they don't happen today. And then there are people that misuse the term like miracle on ice back when the American Olympic hockey team, the amateurs, beat the professional uh, Russian players. It actually wasn't for the gold medal. Uh, it was uh, around before that. No, that wasn't a miracle. They just beat the odds. It might have been 100 to 1. In the next 99 times, the Russians might have won, but they beat the odds. So when we talk about miracle, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about, uh, there's the question, what is a miracle? What we're talking about is when a God in heaven, our God in heaven, intervenes on earth. So otherwise, this wouldn't happen. But God's intervening, and so events are changed here on earth. Now, some people think if you, I, don't, I haven't been to the mall in a long time. I don't know how crowded it is anymore. But it used to be crowded, and if you tried to get a parking space close by, it seemed impossible. And so you said, oh, there's a parking space right in front of uh, the department store. It's a miracle. Well, no, no, it's not a miracle. It's just somebody just left just before you got there, and so you pulled into that space. What would be a miracle is if the cars parted and made a parking space for you. That would be a miracle. That would be God intervening. And so as we approach this series, I want to ask you a question. Is there a need that you have in your life for a miracle, for God to intervene? Or maybe in the lives of the people you love and care about. Uh, maybe about in our country. Uh, we could pray for a miracle in, our, uh, in politics and in society. Experts, uh, theologians, type people, Divide miracles into four basic categories, and that's the four categories we're going to talk about, <clears throat> except for one, and I think it's the biggest miracle, and that's the miracle of a transformed life, um, and maybe you could testify to that. I used to be like this, Jesus came to my life, and now I'm like this. That is a true miracle, and it really doesn't fit into specifically into any of these categories. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about miracles of deliverance. We'll explain that, obviously. Next week, miracles of healing. So praying for physical and, and mental or spiritual healing. 
And also we're going to talk about why God doesn't always heal. And that's really uh, personal to us. <clears throat> then, uh, then we're going to talk about miracles of protection, how God protects us, which kind of connects a little bit with today's topic. And then last, we're going to talk about miracles of provision, how God miraculously provides. We see a lot in Scripture. Uh, I've got, we've got a testi testimonies about it, God providing for us, and, and hopefully you do too. If you're not a Jesus follower, this all means might seem to look kind of strange or weird, especially today's topic. And um, so we would ask you to hang in there, kind of listen uh, as we explain. Um, and I think it's important that you understand what we believe. <laughs> and so that's what we're going to talk about today. So miracles of deliverance, what exactly is that? Well, here's a definition. When God does miracles over the forces and powers of darkness. Now, you might not even believe in that. Uh, You've got to believe in evil. There's so much evil in the world. But you might not believe in the personification of evil, uh, de devil, Satan, whatever, or demons. Uh, but we do. Jesus certainly did. The writers of the New Testament did. The writers of the Old Testament did. And someone has said the greatest trick that, that Satan has performed is getting the people to believe he doesn't exist. So we truly believe he exists. <clears throat> Our main text is going to come from Ephesians. Uh, Paul wrote this. He established a church there. and He's later writing to this church in, in Ephesus. And uh, at the end, he's saying a final word. So I've, I've written this in this, words of encouragement, instruction, teaching, and so forth. At the end, he says, okay, this is the final word. This is, and I think final words are important. <laughs> Uh, I think he wanted to make sure they understood this, um, believed it, applied it to their lives. Maybe they for, would forget some of the other things, but please don't forget this. So he thought this was really important. He said, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. <clears throat> now, you and I aren't strong. We might think we are. Hopefully we don't. <laughs> We're not strong in our, in our own self. In fact, I call willpower will weakness. Because our willpower just doesn't work, does it? Eventually it runs out. <clears throat> so it's not about my strength we're talking about. In fact, the Bible commends us for our weakness. It says when we are weak, God can be strong. So it can be an admirable quality. Consequently, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm, so have power, against what? All the strategies of the devil. The devil has a strategy. He's got a plan. He, it's uh, deceptive. He's sneaky. He's not, you know, sometimes he comes out right out in the open. But most of the time he's not. Now I want to give you a historical illustration. Hopefully it'll help you understand this fight. Uh, we just celebrated the end of World War II uh, 75 years ago this week. Uh, but the, the, that was in, Japan, in the, the Far East. In Europe, it ended a, a few months earlier. But I want to go back to World War I. Most of World War I was fought in France, the battle between France and Germany. The British were involved, the United States eventually, etc. Um, so after that, the French thought, we're not going to let this happen again. We're going to make sure that the Germans can't invade our country. So the Maginot Line was built. Uh, 
named after the defense minister or whatever. And so for the two, over 200-mile border between France and Germany, in the 1930s, they built this line of defense, this massive concrete line. We can picture some of it looks like today. Um, it had over 350 uh, gun emplacements. It had over 100, uh, we call forts. It was built of concrete. It had an underground railroad. It had modern technology. The forts actually and the, the uh, soldiers had air conditioning. I didn't have air conditioning to 1989. In the 1930s, these soldiers had air conditioning. So the most modern technology, it would, would withstand attack by, by tanks or by planes. And so they built this and they felt they were safe. The French did. But what did the Germans do? They just went around it. They went through Belgium and went right into, right into France. So what did the, the French do? They underestimated their enemy. They used the wrong weapons. These weapons didn't stop uh, the advancing Nazi army. And they didn't understand the nature of the enemy, that the, the enemy was going to attack at the least resistance, and that's what they did. They didn't attack their defenses. And so you and I, as we deal with the strategies of the devil. We need to not underestimate him. That's why we're talking about it today. We need to use the right kind of weapons. We'll also talk about that. And we have to understand his nature. So, Paul goes on and says, all right, the reality is we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You might think your enemy is that person you're arguing with on Facebook or the internet. Uh, you might think it's some, some in-law that you don't like, an ex-spouse, uh, um, your parents, your grandparents, your kids, your grandkids. I, I don't know. But he said, no, no, no. Your battle's really not with them. It's with a more powerful and more insidious and more dangerous entity, and that's spiritual. We kind of are trapped in this physical world, but there's a more... <laughs> Real world is the invisible world. And so he puts it this way. He uses a trilogy just to get it across. He says it three times. Our battle is against evil rulers and authorities of unseen world. Can't see it. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So that's what our battle is against. Our primary battle. So I put it up this way. Christianity is not a playground. If you became a Christian thinking life's going to be easy, it's not. It is a battleground. Think about it this way. <clears throat> the Bible describes you as an enemy of God if you're not a Jesus follower. You're at odds with God. You're not, a, you're not part of God's family. You're not listening to God. So consequently, Satan is in that same predicament or situation, and so you're kind of in the same boat as, as the devil is and his, his demons. Uh, so he's happy with you. When you become a Jesus follower, you're no longer at odds with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're a friend of God. You're a part of God's family. You're a child of God. So automatically, what does that situation uh, 
cause you to, what situation caused you to be in as far as Satan's concerned? <laughs> you are his enemy. So he's going to fight against you and I. Now, so what is a demon? A demon is uh, um, the equivalent of an angel to God. Angels are God's uh, messengers, God's, uh, carry out God's work. They're supernatural beings created by God. We believe demons are supernatural beings created by God, in this case, fallen with, with Satan, to do Satan's work. Um, so it's not your dead uncle that was mean and nasty. Just like angels aren't, you know, relatives of yours that are going to be to heaven. These are separate created beings. I don't understand all, all how that works, how they could fall. They evidently can't be redeemed. Uh, Jesus didn't die for them, uh, the demons. And so they're about Satan's work. Now, two mistakes we make in this area, I believe, is one, to overemphasize this idea of demon influence, to overemphasize it, to see demons everywhere, to see demons, you know, if this book falls off this table, a demon did it. You know, if your car stops working, a demon did it. Um, behind every rock, every tree, there's a demon. Um, you know, I have a tr problems with my finances. It's, it's a demon's fault. No, it's not a demon's fault. You just didn't, you spent more money than you made. You've got health issues because you abused your body for 20 or 30 years. It's not a demon's fault. I mean, a demon can cause, we'll talk about that in a minute, can cause an illness, but most of it is, you know, your fault. It, it, my problem with this is it falls into casting blame and not taking responsibility. So one mistake is overemphasizing demon influence, and the other mistake is we underemphasize demonic influence, underemphasize it. We don't believe it exists. And again, the Satan would love that to think, oh, there's no <laughs> evil activity going on around me. And that can be very dangerous, and that's why we want to talk about this. <clears throat> so what do demons do? Well, they do the bidding of Satan. What are three things? Could be more. I'm going to list, list three. They tempt you to sin. Now, we tempt ourselves to sin sometimes. It's just our old sinful nature that we, Satan doesn't even need to be involved. But sometimes he does get involved. And we had an incident in Scripture where Jesus, he came to Jesus and tempt, try, tempted him three times. Uh, I think with us it happens more like uh, thoughts in our mind or whispering saying, okay, and I think the biggest way is, is this. You deserve it. You deserve, you know, to eat more than you should. You deserve to uh, not sleep as much as you should. You deserve not to exercise. You deserve to spend more money than you make. You deserve to run around on your spouse. You deserve whatever it might be, uh, to drink it, to shoot it, to smoke it, whatever it might be. You deserve it. Now, as Jesus follows, we understand we don't deserve anything. Uh, it's all by God's grace. And what happens is demons try and get us to minimize sin. Uh, again, you deserve it. It's not no big deal. You don't have to do the right thing. You don't have to do the godly thing. <laughs> you know, it's all about you. But once we have stepped across that line, we have, we have sinned, we've done harm to somebody, then they, 
Demons maximize it. And we get these thoughts like this, oh, no, you're a terrible person. God hates you. God can't love you. You're, you're terrible. Well, that's not true either. So they minimize sin before it happens, and they tend to maximize it after it happens. Uh, another thing demons do is distract us from God's will. They deceive us, whether it's in the way we just talked about. Uh, I think one way is kind of this idea that you're, you're, you're good. Uh, you believe that some kind of, there is some kind of God. You know, maybe you're a Buddhist. Maybe you're Muslim. It's all going to work out in the end. It's all going to be fine. No, 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 no. Uh, that's not true. And so it's deception. All roads don't lead to God. They might lead to a good life, uh, a peaceful life, but they're not going to lead to God. So they distract us from doing God's will. I, I don't need to talk about, to people about Jesus. It's, it's not important. Well, no, no, it is important that we talk about, about Jesus. And third reason is they inflict suffering sometimes. I think a lot of times it's more mental anguish, uh, depression, thoughts of suicide. I think a lot of that's the way Satan and his demons attack us. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Matthew chapter 17, this, this, this father who is distraught brings his son to Jesus and said, uh, the demons are throwing him in the fire, he's throwing him in the water, uh, he could drown or he could, you know, he, he's in great suffering and Jesus cast the demon out um, because of his inflicting of suffering. And we have to understand Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. You can read that in John 10.10. So, his, his goal isn't to make life better for you. It's not to make your marriage better, your family relationship better. He wants to kill your marriage. He wants to kill your, or destroy your children and their relationships uh, and their life if he can. So, think about this way. How can God, Satan help, hurt God the most? Well, you can ask me, how can you hurt me the most? Well, by hurting the people I love, obviously my wife, but also my kids. So how does Satan want to hurt God? He wants to hurt his kids, which you and I, they're to, that it might be Jesus followers. <clears throat> and what did Jesus come to do? He came to set the captives free, to heal uh, the sick, and to bring peace. Uh, so, just the opposite of what Satan wants to do is what Jesus came to do. <clears throat> so, a couple of verses in other parts of the Bible, other authors in the Bible, that give us some word pictures or some understanding of the powers of darkness. One is, Peter wrote this, one of Jesus' disciples. He said, stay alert, stand firm, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. You and I have an enemy if we're a Jesus follower, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Strong word. So if there was a roaring lion in this room, I think we'd pay attention, wouldn't we? So we need to pay attention because there is this roaring lion, uh, powers of evil. James, brother Jesus, half-brother Jesus, said this. And, and the, the, the progression, I guess, the right word, here is really important. So humble yourself before God. Again, understanding that we are weak, God is strong. God, I can't defeat powers of evil, but you can. So I humble myself. Then I resist the devil. 
stand firm. I'm resisting. I'm standing against it. And it doesn't, it's not endless. Does it feel like sometimes <laughs> satanic power is endless? No, it's not. It comes and goes. And he will flee from you. Now, let me explain this. The devil's not omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing. And most of us, I don't think probably any of us are most important enough for him to bother, but his demons certainly have, have bothered us. But they will flee from if we uh, uh, humble ourselves and, and resist. Now, kind of spooky, kind of goofy, maybe people think, kind of stuff, talking about invisible things. Should we be afraid? I know some of you like horror films. I don't like horror films. But <laughs> should we be afraid? No, we shouldn't. And here's where the miraculous comes in. In the name of Jesus, you and I have miraculous authority, and that word's important, over darkness and the powers of darkness. <clears throat> when Jesus sent out the disciples in, in Matthew 10, he said, I give you authority, cast out demons and heal the sick. Let me give an illustration, and we've got two 18-wheeler truck drivers here with us this morning. You're driving down the highway in your 18-wheeler, and some patrolman, police officer or something, stands in the middle of the road and puts his hand up. What do you do? Hopefully, you stop your truck. Now, you have the power to run that guy over and squash him like a bug if you're an 18-wheeler. But you don't. You stop. Why? Because he has the authority of the government behind him. You could be in big trouble if you don't obey that authority. So you have the, the power. Or you have the power, but you don't have the authority. He doesn't have the power, but he does have the authority. So in this spiritual battle, you and I, as Jesus followers, we don't have the power. I have no power. The devil could squash me like a bug if God would let him. But we have the authority to say, in, in Jesus' name, leave me alone. Uh, stop putting those negative thoughts in my mind and in my heart. Now, why is it so hard to, to remember, so difficult for us to remember? Because life happens, doesn't it? We are busy running our lives. We're, you know, parents with kids in school, I can't imagine the dilemma they're facing, one of our uh, I saw one of our parents has, has decided to homeschool their, their sixth grader this year. Um, we got school teachers. I can't imagine how you, you teach school. We've got one school teacher. She's here this morning. First grade. How do you teach first grade on a computer? I, I, I don't know. So these are the dilemmas that are facing people. How do you just, you know, survive in, this, in the culture we're in now? So life happens. It's difficult. Satan's trying to destroy your marriage, he's trying to destroy your family, he's trying to destroy your finances, he's trying to destroy your health. And so we're just trying to hang on, some of us. So we need to realize, we need to recognize that every day we are in a spiritual battle. No matter all those physical things we need to deal with, they're important and we have to deal with them, but we're first and foremost in a spiritual battle. Don't assume it's all physical. So let me give you a kind of a battle plan, a two-part battle plan, whatever the circumstance, whatever the problem, whatever the issue is. First thing, do what's natural. Do what makes sense. Do what is wise. Uh, I'll give you an example. Back around Christmas, I had this rash that, all around the middle of my body, itching and driving me crazy. Did I pray about it? Sure I did. 
Well, what did I do? I went, well, I wound up going to two doctors. <laughs> I got sent to uh, another doctor, skin doctor, after the first doctor. <clears throat> she gave me a prescription. I took the prescription, and it healed my body. That was a natural thing to do. And if you get sick, um, we got some folks here that had the, uh, had the virus. They followed, the, I'm sure, the protocols and, and uh, doctor's instructions to deal with that illness. But uh, psychological problems or counseling issues, marriage problems, go to a counselor, do those things, talk to a pastor. Uh, do what's natural. Um, your kids are, you know, going crazy, driving you crazy, you know, take up a parenting class, whatever you need to do. Do what's natural. But don't assume everything is natural. So then ask, secondly, or alongside of that, Ask for God's supernatural. Ask for God to intervene. Ask for God to heal. Ask for God to fix your situation. Um, financial problems, get a financial counselor. Take a financial class. Um, but then, <laughs> ask for God's help. And maybe God will give you, help you get a raise, get another job, whatever it might be. Do what is natural and ask God to do the supernatural. Again, why do that? What did verse 12 say? Our battle, our primary battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not in this physical realm. First and foremost, our primary battle is in the unseen world, spiritual realm. And then Paul goes on to write, he says, therefore, since you have this battle, spiritual battle, you need to put on spiritual armor. And he gives a list. It's truth, well, truth is so important, peace, be a peacemaker and be at peace, faith, trust, belief in God, obviously salvation, a relationship with the Almighty, and then two things, uh, Word of God and prayer. <clears throat> now, I believe these are primarily defensive weapons. You and I don't have to go out and look for, look for a fight. Um, um, they'll come to us. We don't need to look for them. Satan will, will come after us. So even the Word of God, which really is important, it can be used offensively, but it's described as a sword. A sword can be used defensively. So we are to stand firm. To me, that's a defensive action. And, of course, pray. If this is a, uh, a command, if you're a Jesus follower, again, no option. <laughs> it's a command. If we do not do this, first and foremost, we're disobeying, and secondly, we're going to suffer because we won't be able to withstand. Um, and why then will we stand if we do this? Uh, John wrote this, uh, disciple of Jesus. Um, if you belong to God, you've already won a victory over those people because, and here's the key, the Spirit who lives in you and as Jesus follows, who believe the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world or any other spirit. God is greater than any other being, natural or supernatural. So, should I be afraid? Why will, why will or can we win? Um, and we don't need to win. All we need to do is stand. Why? 
because we are fighting from victory. The battle's already been won. We are fighting from victory. And let me just throw this note in here. Sometimes what looks like defeat is actually not, and the cross is the perfect example. When Jesus died on the cross, what do you think the demons and the devil were doing? They were partying, right? They were celebrating, hey, we won, we won, we won. Three days later, what happened? Jesus conquered death, rose from the dead, and Satan it was defeated. And that's why he is fighting. He knows he's lost. <clears throat> so what did Jesus do when he raised from the dead? He did lots of things. But one thing he did was this. He defeated darkness. He defeated darkness. And what is darkness? It's not the opposite of light. Darkness is the absence of light. And it's really interesting. They don't operate the same. If you have a dark room and you bring light into it, the darkness is gone. You have a lighted room and you bring darkness in, what happens? Nothing happens. As long as there's still light there, there's going to be light. Light overcomes darkness. So who is Jesus? One of the descriptions of Jesus is what? He said, I am the light of the world. And he says, we are to be the light of the world. Is his presence in us. So here it is. Light always defeats darkness. We've already won. Um, now, I don't, depending on your religious tradition, you might have some kind of formula you use, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, depart from me or whatever it might be. I don't operate that way. Um, <clears throat> I shared this illustration a year or so ago, and my kids make fun of me. But uh, I'm going to share the illustration again. This is kind of how I operate. <clears throat> I was going into Lowe's one day, about a year, two years ago, actually. And I noticed walking kind of right in front of me was this attractive lady dressed in high heels going into Lowe's. And it just seemed odd to me. I don't see people like that in Lowe's very often. So I go in there and I go back to what I wanted to buy, a piece of trim molding for, I think it was for Kelly's house. And I'm there looking at the trim and guess who's standing next to me? This same attractive lady. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of odd. Most ladies don't buy <laughs> trim. Um, but anyway, once twice, maybe a coincidence. So I got what I wanted, what I needed. I went to the checkout. I bought what I, and I'm walking out of the store. And who's walking out the store the same time I am? This same attractive lady. I don't even think she had anything in her hands. And so my response was, my kids, my kids make fun of me. Not today, Satan. That's all, that's all I said in my mind. I just said, not today, Satan. Okay. Sometimes you're pretty devious. This seems pretty obvious to me. You know, three times. Uh, sometimes I'll lose that battle, but I didn't lose that battle that day. And that's, all, that's the way I handle it. That's why I just kind of walk in the Spirit, be aware, and I, I talk back to Him. You can talk back to Him. So, let's finish up with our verse here. This is so important. He said, my, these are my final words. This is what I want to make sure you take with you. You are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And so when you're arguing with somebody or somebody disagrees with you, there's somebody God loves, somebody God created. Don't think of them as your enemy. Now, there might be an evil presence behind them. Our prim primary fight, primary, first and foremost fight, 
is against evil, evil rulers and authorities of unseen worlds. We can't see them. It's kind of like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects. We can't see the evil, but we can see the effects. There's so much evil in the world. Against mighty powers. Now, they're powerful, but they're not the mightiest power. We have the mightiest power in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So let me leave you with that word. Hopefully it's been a word of encouragement to you. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I think I would, I would pray that you would think, uh, think on these words. Let me pray with you before we leave. Uh, Father God, we, as your children, those of us that are, believe in miracles. And probably all of us, if not most, most of us, uh, are asking for a miracle someplace. Health issue, financial issue, relationship issue, spiritual issue. And God, we know that you're the one that determines what ultimately happens. But we have to play our part. We need to put on this armor, this expensive armor, and take a stand. Take, take a stand against evil. As I shared this week, uh, one of the greatest evils that really bothers me is abortion. It, to me, it's, it's killing, killing the defenseless. And, and I believe we need to take a stand against that. Um, whatever it might be. For other people, it might be other issues, other things. Uh, we need to stand firm on truth, but not be afraid. Um, the victory's already been won. We get to stand for, uh, and, and resist from a place of victory, not defeat. But we need to be wise. We need to be aware. We need to understand the enemy and how he operates. And uh, again, depend on your, your strength, God. Uh, we thank you for this miracle that we have the authority <laughs> to say no to evil. And give us the wisdom to know how and when to use that. And for anyone that's not a Jesus follower, we pray especially for you today that you would understand that your life may be going better than mine, may be going easier than mine. is because the powers of evil are happy with you. They... As long as you're not following God, giving your life, committing yourself to God, um, they're happy. But when you cross that line, you join God's family in them. You become an enemy of the evil. Not to be afraid. You enter in a relationship with God that your sins will be forgiven. You have a relationship with the Almighty, you have a promise of eternity with Him and purpose and meaning in life. You don't need to live your life in defeat, but you can live your life in victory, even though the struggles will be there. So we pray that you would step across that line today, or you would at least move closer, that you would examine, you would check out the claims, the truth claims of Jesus. If we can help you in any way, let us know. Father, if anyone has stepped across that line, we pray a special prayer for them, that they will seek out help, support. Uh, they need that whether from us or from some, some other source. And for all of us, we pray that 
we would understand and that we take serious that you are called us to a battle and it's serious and we need to stand for truth and stand against evil, not in our power, but your power. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.